Grace, mercy, and peace to you in the name of God our Father. Amen. You know, it's an interesting, at the end of that Second Peter reading, it says this, For whatever overcomes a person, to that, is he, he is, to that he is enslaved. It gives you kind of a snapshot on this whole series that we're doing on the seven deadly sins. The reason that they're called the seven deadly sins is that these are the sins that tend to affect our heart in such a way that they put a barrier or they put a wedge in between us and God and they can cause us to lose everything. There's in the Catholic Church these things called mortal and venial sins. Venial sins are being those things that you accidentally do, you know, go through a red light accidentally or something like that. And you didn't predetermine it, you didn't pre plan it, it just it was happening all of a sudden. And then you went through and you're like, ah! And you confess to God and He immediately forgives you. Doesn't generally affect your heart towards God. But there are those sins that creep into our lives and they force a decision will you serve the sin? Or where you serve God. And hence they become idols in their life and they lead to destruction, not only of body but also of soul. And it can even lead to a loss of eternity. So as we talk about these things today, we're going to talk about the next one, which is this idea of gluttony. Now, gluttony isn't one that you hear a whole lot today, but there's another word that we use all the time that uh, implicates almost everybody here, and that is the word addiction. Now, I know when we think of addictions, we usually think of that stuff to drugs or alcohol or stuff like that. But if the studies are right in our society today, also 80% of the guys are addicted to a thing called porn and also 50% of the ladies. It should distress you as you look at the culture today, realizing that all those people are struggling with that area of lust in their life to that degree. But it's not just that kind of stuff. It could also be cigarettes. It could also be workaholism. It could also be eating. It also could, could be tech. How many times do you see kids or even adults like this all the time? I saw some guy walking across the street looking at his phone and I thought he's going to kill himself because he's not paying attention to anything. I read this article last year in the LA Times. It says, Americans seem to be hooked on this idea of having addictions. And these days, almost anyone might have an addiction, if not to drugs or alcohol, then to food, cigarettes, exercise, relationships, sex, shopping, porn, work, video games, and on and on. Habits that were once called compulsions or just plain weaknesses are now described as addictions. In fact, there are more than 200 different kind of addictions that are dealt with by support groups in America today. You got an addiction, I can find you a group, right? And so, in light of that, in light of all that, how do you deal with your addictions? Maybe a way of thinking about addictions is, what is that sin in my life that I can't seem to stop? The thing that keeps causing negative consequences, the thing that keeps complicating my life, the things that I hide from my spouse or from my kids or from my friends, what is, it, what is that thing that seems to have mastery, control over me, so that I cry out like Paul, the things that I want to do, I find myself not doing, and the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing those things all the more. So I'll just ask this question, how many of you know a friend that is struggling with something like that? Anybody have a friend like that? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, so the reality is maybe these studies that they do aren't so far off that perhaps all of us struggle with sin in this kind of way. That we all have these pet sins and that these pet sins often have mastery over us. You can also tell these kind of sins, these are the ones that we don't always apologize for to God. 
they're also the ones that even when we do apologize to God, we're thinking in the back of our mind, well, probably tomorrow we'll be back here where we'll have to apologize again. So how do you deal with these kind of sins, these kind of addictions in our life, the things that tend to complicate our lives all over the place? And to answer that this morning, I want to take a look at five biblical principles on how we can break free from some of these destructive habits, from some of these destructive sins. And everybody, studies show, has got a bad habit. We're all sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God, and we all have these destructive sins. And so whatever it is, whatever your struggle, these biblical principles can help you. But when we look to break a bad habit or one of these destructive sins in our life, there's a spiritual part and there's a physical part and there's an emotional part. I will refer you to a, to a doctor in terms of the physical part. There are some things, detox and, and for some kinds of things that you need to go through. But this morning I want to talk to you about the spiritual and emotional part. These would be involved in all of them and the great majority would only need these two parts to overcome. So I want to deal with these two parts, and I want to look at five steps from God's Word on how we can break these bad habits in our life. These deal with this gluttonous attitude of, I just can't seem to stop. When you think of gluttony, you think of somebody who keeps eating, has all these bowls of ice cream and can't stop. Think Tuesday. What, anybody know what happens on Tuesday this week? Anybody? Think called Halloween. How many of you think you might struggle with your addiction to chocolate coming on Tuesday? Anybody? Anybody? Okay. So, so we'll talk about that and what to do with that so that we don't give into that addiction. All right. So one of the things that God starts with uh, when it comes to rooting out this kind of sin in our life is he says something very simple. It's a practical piece of advice, but he says this, begin today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. Why? Because sin is destroying you. Literally, that's what sin does. So the longer you wait, the worse the destruction, and why would you do that? But he says, I want you to start today. And I say that because have you ever noticed how many more people it is that you meet that are going to be starting their diets tomorrow and not today? In fact, how many of you guys are starting your diet with me on Wednesday? Wednesday this week? I just thought that was a good day. Just kind of picked it out of nowhere, you know, to start my diet. Proverbs 27 verse 1 says, never boast about tomorrow. Why? Because you don't know what will happen between now and then. And so quit telling yourself, one of these days, I'm going to get around to it. One of these days, I'm finally going to start. Stop procrastinating. Why? Because it's going to be harder tomorrow than it is today. Because delay always makes the problem worse because the destruction has always had a little bit more time to wreak its vengeance. In Ecclesiastes 11.4, says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you'll never start anything. So I'm talking to you perfectionists out there today. So I'll just ask you in the midst of all this, what's been your excuse? Why aren't you working on these problems in your life? Why aren't you trying a little bit harder to root these sins out in your life? The person who really wants to change seems to always find a way, but the person who doesn't want to change finds an excuse they find somebody to blame. We live in a culture of excuse and blame today. It seems like nobody wants to actually look at themselves, make themselves better. So one of the first things that God says is, we need to begin today. If you're serious about rooting the sin out of your life, then it starts Sunday, not Wednesday. Another thing that God says in his word is, it's important to examine your life. And this is where you ask yourself questions like, what are my weaknesses? How long have I had this problem, this addiction? Where am I tempted most? What are my fears? What are my frustrations? And we need to do a frank evaluation of our life. 
This is important. I think sometimes we wait, and at least physically, I'll use the traditional sense of gluttony, right? Where, where we start feeling weird or our hearts start feeling weird or, or something's going on that isn't working the way it used to be. And then all of a sudden we say, well, maybe we need to get our weight under control or maybe we need to go to the doctor finally or maybe we need to do this or that. When you do this self-reflection, it's looking at your lifestyles and it's saying, hey, is what you're doing sustainable? Is what you're doing healthy? Is what you're doing sinful? And it's becoming honest with that. You know, it's not just the, the overwhelming statistics of people that are addicted to porn today, but it's the destruction that's reaping on marriages and relationships and, and the whole view of sex. And, and it's creating these, it's just doing all sorts of damaging things when it comes to the, 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 the whole idea of marriage and the whole idea of relationships today. It's objectifying the other person. <laughs> and it gets more disgusting than that as you read some of the articles that are coming out today. And so it's important to look at that and say, you know what, this is an issue. This is a real problem. I don't care if it's on every sitcom and they pretend it's normal. This is destroying my marriage today. And if I want my marriage to be better, I've got to start taking this seriously and I've got to root it out of my life. I think cigarettes can be more obvious. It's dealing with your lung capacity and do you have to wait until you have to be in the doctor and ICU before you deal with that? Alcoholism destroys more homes than almost anything else. Drug addictions, even to painkillers today. But there's other stuff that is also deeper, our addiction to tech and how that's fracturing relationships and communication. It's important that we spend some time taking a look at what are we doing that is destroying the relationships, that is destroying ourselves, destroying the people in our lives. Lamentations 3.40 says, let us examine our ways and, and test them. And then it says, and return to the Lord. So to change, I've got to stop pretending. I can't cover up my faults. I, can't, I have to get to this place where I come face to face with them and recognize I've got to root this out before it's too late. Because the fact is, hiding a hurt only intensifies it and makes it worse. In Psalm 32, verse 4 and 5, it says, My dishonesty made me miserable. Anybody, don't raise your hands. Anybody ever have a sin that you hid from your spouse or from your friends or from your parents? I mean, you're so embarrassed, you don't even let these people that are closest to you know. My dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration until I finally admitted my sins and stopped trying to hide them. And this crazy thing happened. And then it says, and then God forgave me. And now my guilt is gone. The psalmist is rejoicing. He doesn't have to live in bondage to this lie anymore. He doesn't have to live in bondage to this sin anymore. Notice the words miserable and frustration. God says, I just want you to admit that you've got a problem, to repent, to confess to me that you need help, to confess to me that you feel horrible that you've done it, to confess to me that you need the strength to turn away from it, and I will forgive. I will wipe out the guilt in your life. But we need to do an evaluation. It was interesting. I was, uh, my daughter, Gracie, she's eight, and she uh, was going home the other day, and and she said, Dad, is, is saying sorry d meaningless? <laughs> I'm like, no, saying sorry is really important, you know. And, and she knows that because we make uh, the girls say I'm sorry. We make mom and dad say I'm sorry. We, we, uh, we, we model that in our home. And so I said, why do you ask? And she says, well, my teacher said, and they were m messing around and, and weren't being good, so the teacher didn't get her stuff done. And, and Gracie said to the teacher as, as she was walking out the door that she was sorry and the teacher says, sorry doesn't mean anything. 
Now, we can get the gist of what the teacher was saying, right? The teacher was saying, it's just words, right? You change your action, it's just words. We get that, okay? But, but I'm here to tell you, saying I'm sorry is the beginning of everything. Now, it can be where you just say the words and it doesn't mean anything. And does God see that? Yeah, that's when you go to God and say, God, I'm so sorry I did this. And you're already planning on doing the same thing tomorrow afternoon, right? There's no intention really to stop. You're not turning your back on the sin. You feel bad for the moment or you feel bad that you got caught, but you're not planning on taking any life change. That I'm sorry may be just words. But the I'm sorry that says, God, I'm sorry I did this, that's the beginning. It gives you the strength then to turn your back on the sin, which is called repentance. It gives you the strength ultimately to start walking away from that sin so that it no longer controls you, so that it no longer has bondage over you. It is the beginning to everything. If you can't say, I'm sorry in your life, get over yourself and start saying it. Because here's the other side. It's the beginning to forgiveness as well. Ultimately, when somebody wrongs you, don't you just want to know that they feel bad and they won't do it again? Lots of times we want more than that, we're vengeful people. But the reality is, ultimately, that's what we want. And if we could just get that in the moment, we can move on from it. If we could just get that, I'm sorry. And if you can't receive it, I'm sorry, get over yourself. That's sin, and now it's on you instead of them. We always receive the I'm sorry's. But we examine our lives so that we can repent, say the I'm sorry, turn, with everything we've got, commit to turning our back on the sin, praying to God that he gives us strength to overcome and to leave that sin in the background. And I promise you, God can give and will give the strength to overcome. You don't have to be a victim. You don't have to think that it's impossible for God is a God of great power, a God that can do anything. But it starts with these looking in moments. It's, it, it starts with this honesty where you confess, God, I need your help. God, I am so sorry. God, change my thinking, change the way I'm looking at this, change my, give me more strength so I can overcome. And then he gives us to this next part. And this might be the hardest part of all. We need to allow Christ to take over our life. I share that, and it always has resonance to me because my, one of my best friends just says this, I don't dispute that God is real, but I don't want to be a hypocrite. I know if I became a Christian, I would have to give him control of my life, and I don't want to do that. Okay, because he's a control enthusiast, I guess, like me. A lot of us are when it comes to our lives. We like to compartmentalize how much we hear of God, how much we uh, obey God, how much we follow God. But God is asking us, especially when it comes to rooting out these things in our life, also recognize that God is working all things for the good of those who love him. So as part of this, it's just a trusting that God's got you. But we allow Christ to take over our life. Why? Because he's waiting to help us. And the reality is that you need God's power because it's greater than yours to solve some of the issues in your life. Why? Because we can't seem to root them out by ourselves. Because if we could, we would have already done so. And so we need to go to, straight to the source. In Romans 6, verse 12 and 13, it says, Don't let sin control your body any longer. Don't give in to its sinful desires, but give yourselves completely over to God, every part of you, to be used for his good purposes. He's saying that the solution to your addiction then is that you need to choose the right master because of this reality. You are all, everybody here is controlled by something. Right? We, we, we are all controlled by something. Sometimes it's other people, sometimes it's other schedules, sometimes it's drugs, alcohol, food, you name it. But you're going to have to serve somebody in this life. 
Why not choose the right master? Because that's where freedom comes. You can give yourself over to some of these inanimate things that don't care about your life at all. They don't care if they complicate your life at all, but you just blindly follow them. You can give yourself over to people who are in it for themselves and they don't always have your best interests in mind. Or you can give your life over to God who promises that he will be with you, who promises he will work all things for your good, who promises he always has your best interests in mind and whose whole goal is to get you to heaven. If you can turn yourself over to God then and trust that he's got you, trust that he's working things out for your good, you can let go. And that's where peace and that's where strength comes from. Instead of having somebody else in control of my life, you say, I'm going to have God control my life. Again, that's where freedom takes place. You don't let other things control you, you let God control you. Note the word again here, completely. Often we only want to give God the problem. God, I'll give you this problem, but let let me just take care of the rest of my life. I don't want you getting into too many of my different areas, right? That would make life really hard. But God says, if you want me to work on this problem, you've got to give me every area of your life. You've got to give it all to me, not just part. And so you turn the management of your life over to God. And that produces an incredible power to change, an incredible peace to live in. And so you start asking, why don't most people do it? Because we're afraid. Because we don't ultimately trust that God's interests and ours are aligned. And they're probably not because we're sinful, but God's interests are always for our good. Sometimes we're afraid that we'll become a little too fanatical about, you know, Jesus. Come, you don't want to become too much like pastor, right? I mean, you've got to get boundaries. But if I give every area over my life to God, then I'll lose my fun, we think. Or I'll lose my freedom. Or I'll become a fanatic. But the good news that Jesus shares in his word is that Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. That sounds good. The good news is that you matter to God, that God has a purpose for your life and has a plan for your life, and his plans for your life are good. That, again, seems like a good thing. So you can relax and let God take control of your life. And if you do, that will give you power and peace. And so instead of being controlled by something else, the sentence in our life that seems to be complicating our life, I'm going to be controlled by God and people will start being blessed by me instead of cursed by me. And that produces freedom and it improves our relationships and it gives us the strength we need to move forward. And it gives us this amazing power to change. Then he goes and he gives us another thing to look at as we go through this process of rooting out the sin. And this is kind of a commonsensical one, but it's keep away from temptation, right? It's should be common sense. When we get down into the nitty-gritty of rooting out anything, it doesn't seem to be common sense. But, but let me just kind of put this in other words. If I don't want to get stung by bees, what do I do? Stay away from the bees. You need to avoid the situations that you're tempted. Again, this should be common sense. In Romans 13, 14, it says, Don't give any chances for the flesh to have its fling. So you don't put yourself in tempting situations. If I have a problem with drinking, I don't stock the bar in my house, right? If I have a problem with lust, I don't keep on going to those websites. If I have a problem with overeating, I don't move next to a fast food place, right? Or or I don't stockpile my, my house full of candy and snacks. I stay away from the things that cause me problems. 
Makes sense, right? If you've ever gone on a diet or you've ever been watching your food, you try not to stock your house with the things that are going to cause you to stumble, right? If you have a spouse that's doing that, that's complicating your goal, right? But the reality is we try not to do things intentionally that cause us to fall. I thought of a, a cool invention. I, I thought we could, somebody created a refrigerator that every time you opened it, it would weigh you. I think that would just be, be horrible, wouldn't it? Just be horrible. But the reality is it, is it emphasizes this point. You don't put yourself in situations where you know you're going to be tempted. Proverbs 24 verse 27 says, plan carefully what you do. Avoid evil. In other words, it says plan to avoid evil. The key to overcoming temptation is to decide in advance what you're going to do in those situations. And so if you're a teenager, you don't wait until you're in the backseat of a car to decide if you're going to stay pure or not. If you're, you don't, if you're in a struggle with, with drinking, you don't wait until you're in a bar and somebody asks you if you want to drink before you decide, do I want to drink or not? You have to plan in advance. You decide to avoid it in advance. You don't put yourself in those situations. It's predetermination is what he's saying here. I asked a guy one time how he quit smoking and he said, I wet my matches. That's, that's brilliant, right? They do not work now. Um, he planned in advance. In Ephesians 4 verse 27, it says, don't give the devil a foothold. Don't put yourself in those situations. And hear me say this, because this is the hard part. It may mean that you have to make some changes in your life. It may mean that you have to choose some new friends. And to be honest, if your friends are bringing you down continually, you need new friends. Maybe you need to change jobs. Maybe you need to move. The Bible says flee temptation. What would you rather have, a job or a family? Run from it. Avoid from it. Avoid it. Most of us, when we flee temptation, though, what do we do? We leave a forwarding address. Yeah, we just, I want to stop right now, but maybe later on I'll give you a call, you know, whatever the temptation might be. Don't do that. Keep away from it. Burn your bridges. Do the smart thing and stay away from the temptations that are tempting you, that are causing you to stumble. And that's the negative part. Stay away from situations that cause your downfall because you recognize you're playing for heaven, because you recognize these things are complicating your life, because you recognize if you don't deal with some of this stuff, it could actually cost you everything. Now, here's the positive part. Focus on something better. In Proverbs 4, verse 23, it says, Be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. So the Bible says that the spiritual battle for sin is fought in the mind. If you change your life, it starts right here. Whatever captures your attention captures you. So the key to resisting temptation is not to fight it, not to resist it. It's simply to refocus your attention. You mentally change channels. The only way you have victory over temptation is to refocus your attention on something else because whatever, again, you concentrate on gets you. For example, have you ever concentrated on a diet? All you can think about is, when should I eat, and how much can I eat, and how many calories is that? All you're thinking about is food 24-7. That's not a real successful way to overcome the idea of gluttony, right? That's not the way to break a habit of any sort. The key is to focus on something that's better. And so, the moment you're tempted, God says you turn your mind over to something else. What do you focus on? Philippians 4, 8, it says, Fill your mind with things that are good and deserve praise, things that are true, noble, right, pure, lovely, and honorable. This principle of replacement. You replace the bad with the good. This is what I do with my kids when they have a nightmare. Stop focusing on this scary thought. I said, think about your best birthday 
ever. Think about the best family trip ever. Think about the coolest thing you could possibly think of ever. Create a whole storyline around this and stop thinking about this. Right? First part is, in Jesus' name, Satan, be gone. And in Jesus' name, take away my bad, my, my, my bad dreams. Take away my scaries. And then focus on something else. Replace the bad with the good. Another example is my gas tank is never really empty, right? It's either filled with air or gas. When I fill it with gas, it takes away the air. When I don't put in gas, the air replaces the gas. But it's always full of something. You may think your mind is empty. You say, I'm going to get rid of this thought. But it will come right back unless you replace it with something else. If you ever had a nightmare, you know how this works. If you don't replace it with something else, it keeps coming back over and over and over. It's the principle of replacement, the power of the positive. When you want to get rid of the bad thought, you fill it with a good thought. That's the way you push it out. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Be transformed then by the renewing of your mind. This step is to focus on the positive, to focus on something better. The Bible says, fill your mind with the positive thoughts, the positive things, and when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. I'll give you another example. In way too many homes, people are doing porn, right? If you could, before you go to that, say, you know, maybe I should go invest in my wife right now. See how things are going. Strike up a conversation, and you know, you guys are married. Maybe who knows where that goes, you know, but it's a better way forward than destroying your relationship by going into that room. Again, when you take a look at these five steps that God promised, I want you to see the result if you do those. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says, God keeps his promises. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond your power to resist. And at the time that you are tempted, he will give you the strength to endure it and to provide you with a way out. God says, I'll give you the power to overcome your temptation. Whatever the sin that's somehow controlling you, I'll give you the power to overcome but I want you also to hear that this promise is not for everybody. You cannot go out and say, I have a problem with overeating and sit down to several helpings of ice cream and say, okay, God, provide a way out. God, I have a problem with lust and you can't keep on going to those websites and say, okay, God, provide a way out. Crash my, 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 my uh, uh, internet here or something, you know. You need to do these other steps. You can only claim the promise when you're following the principles and it always starts by making Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. He loves you, he cares, and he's waiting to help. In 2 Peter 2.19, it talks about people who are slaves to destructive habits. It says this, for a man is a slave to anything that has conquered him. I want you to think about that for a moment and ask yourself, what's been controlling me in my life? I mean, what's really in control? And maybe you have to look at different moments in your life. And then ask yourself, Who's really in charge? And if you say you, right, I'm in control of my life, and look at where that's got you. A self-made man worships its maker. It's a picture of my friend. Fact is, though, you need something bigger than yourself to pull you out of yourself, to pull you out of the problems that you're causing on yourselves and are making your lives complicated. The Bible says you're going to need to serve somebody. You're going to serve money or power or sex or food or drugs or drinking or gambling or shopping or something. But real freedom comes when you choose the right master. It comes from the love and the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers. It comes from trusting that he's actually working things for your good, that he's got you, that he's with you, that he sees. 
These steps, they all work, I promise you. They're tried and true. They're right from his word. But the question will be, will you allow Jesus to be Lord and Savior for your life? Will you allow him to be in control? And his promise to you, if you do, is that he's waiting to help. He's there to forgive. And he's there to save. Great is the love of our God. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let us pray. Father, as we look about at these things that are causing us to stumble in our life, you're not surprised by them. You see us every day. Father, we pray several things as we think about them. We pray, number one, that you would help us bring them to you in repentance in our prayers on a more regular basis. That we'd stop justifying them, excusing them, or rationalizing them, but see them for what they are, that they're sin, and that they're complicating our life. In some cases, they're destroying our lives, our relationships from right before us. And Father, that we need your help to change them. Create in us a desire then to change and to flee this destruction and to pursue you, Lord, and the freedom and the promises that you give. Give us the strength step by step to overcome because your promises you will. And then give us that freedom. And that freedom is something tangible, Lord. When we've been in bondage to something in the past, when we can finally be free from it, we're like, whoa, this is the freedom that Christ talks about. This is the freedom of not having to be a slave to that any longer. Father, as we look through these seven deadly sins, give us strength and give us wisdom and, and prepare our hearts to repentance, to receive all the things that you have promised. Father, we need your help today. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.